0: Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis.
0: And I'm Margaret Michael.
1: Thanks for tuning in, and today we're joined by Karen Good. Karen, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well, Grayson. Thanks for asking.
1: Well, thank you for joining us today, Karen, and uh, Karen's here to share her testimony with us today. Karen, just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up.
0: Well, I am born and raised right here in the Shenandoah Valley. I uh, grew up in Grotto's. I'm currently living uh, in McGackiesville. My husband and I live in McGackiesville, but my parents still live in the same house that I um, grew up in, so I claim Grotto's as my home. Um, half of my life was spent in Elkton as well. So I guess really you could say I'm an Elkton Grottoes, McGackiesville girl.
2: It's all relevant, It's right? all, yeah.
0: East
1: Rock and <laughs> east, Ham east, girl. East,
0: east, east side Rock of the county. Girl. Yep, that's me. Oh,
2: that's great. So I'm guessing that you probably had some other family that lived in Elkton is the reason you claimed Elkton. So who was that?
0: That was my, um, my mom's side of the family. All lived on Naked Creek. In Is that Naked Creek? Naked Creek. <laughs> uh, yeah, I spent many, many, many summers down there, and pretty much every Sunday of my life we spent at Grandma's house. And honestly, um, getting into my testimony, I would have to say, because of my grandma on the creek, mm-hmm. I am who I am. I, I just, it's amazing how much she influenced me before I ever knew she was doing it, yeah. which really wasn't her. It was, yeah. it was the Lord, but... um Great memories from Grottoes and great memories from Elton, so I'm pretty excited.
2: So I feel like you grew up in church. Speaking of your granny, so what was it like going to church as a kid?
0: Um, well, believe it or not, my parents never took us to church. I had a family in Grottoes who went to a Methodist church. Their names were Cat and Wade, Catherine and Wade. And they picked us up every Sunday morning, wow. and my middle sister and I went to church our whole life. But my parents never, mm. never went with me or Melanie. And then when I hit my teenage years, my grandma, mm. my grandma picked up. And I always saw to it that Melanie and I got to church. And then, of course, when we started driving, um, we took ourselves. But pretty much it was because of a couple in Ingrados who did not have children. They undertook a whole group of children and brought us to church every Sunday. And so my foundation was Methodist, and then my, uh, when I moved to Grandma's, I got a little Pentecostal mm-hmm. side of it. Um, and then when Melanie and I started going to church on our own, we went back to the, to the Methodist church.
2: Yeah. So do you have a memory, um, something with this couple or a church that just really stands out? Obviously, they invested in mm-hmm. you. Um, Sunday mm-hmm. school teachers, is there anybody that really mm-hmm. stands out from that Methodist church?
0: Reverend Chatton was probably the first pastor that I really started listening to the Word. Mm-hmm. Like, he started planting things. I was still very young. I was probably in fifth grade. So some of the things he said went over my head, but I just remember thinking, like, Paul. I kept thinking, that Paul guy's kind of cool. So that started planting, but really it was cat. Who was my Sunday school teacher? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. She was really the one who um, set things for us. We would, as children, you do crafts, but I remember she never let us get away with just doing crafts. Like when the crafts were over, we sat down, and she not only taught this story, but she almost made the story relevant to me. Mm-hmm. Like how how is you know Jesus relevant to me? How did what Paul say make it relevant to me? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just I did a little craft. That craft kind of Became me, like I could, I could relate to that, um, and that's what caught me. That's what made me want to do more and learn more because it was intriguing to me that I could take a Bible story and actually become part of it. I, I don't know if that makes yeah, sense, yeah. but
1: remarkable.
0: and so I just wanted to learn more. I just, I just wanted to keep going. And Cat and Wade would always have us up on Saturday nights, um, and they would feed us and play games with us. I mean, truly.
2: They invested they and they
0: inve- they would come around and pick every child up in grottos and they lived in Augusta County and they would um they would pick up every child at their home take them to their home and then um take us back home so it was really fascinating so if, if I have to give credit cat and Wade started mm-hmm. the whole thing and then grandma kind of picked up and matured what had started right. Yeah.
1: So they kind of planted the seed, and then she watered Absolutely.
0: it. Absolutely. I still can distinctly remember the classroom. I can remember her sitting in her chair. I mean, I can remember stories from Kat. Mm. So that's the impact she made.
1: When I heard you talking about being in Sunday school class with Kat, your Sunday school teacher, it sounded like, almost like you felt like a part of the story, like they were present day, like you could put yourself in the story just because of how well she told the story or whatever activity that she incorporated with the story really uh, made you feel a part of that.
0: I can remember the one that I never, I still love it. It's probably my favorite story is when um, Peter steps off the boat because as children, I remember waves and ocean being scary in, right. a, you know, in a storm, you don't want to be in the storm so I'm sitting there, as like I don't want to be afraid but what I remember is her always saying just don't take your eyes off Jesus just don't take your eyes off Jesus and I, I, so I didn't, again, I didn't relate it at the time it was a storm, don't take your eyes off Jesus but as I've grown mm-hmm. I have learned that storms aren't just waves in a right. boat storms are in many, many different things mm-hmm. and you just don't take your eyes off Jesus yeah. it was that simple, it's childlike it's that simple, don't take your eyes off Jesus so that, that, I just, that's what I, that's probably my favorite one is I cannot get that out of my head. Just, no matter the storm, don't take your eyes off Jesus. And that's from my childhood.
2: Yeah, uh, it makes me think of the Rembrandt painting of Jesus in the storm in the boat. Uh, Rembrandt did a great job putting people in the boat, the different disciples in the boat. And he also put himself in the boat. He always did that, but uh, he put himself in the story. But there were people that were trying to fix, you know, in this picture that he created of that storm. Like, not everyone's eyes was on Jesus. Because when we get into a storm, we try to fix things ourselves. And what he was trying to say in the storm, in this painting, was the one person that was kneeling at the feet of Jesus was the one that had perfect peace. At that that picture which the original was stolen out of a museum in Boston never to be recovered um, to this point but that picture speaks that so clearly that he is a storm silencer yeah. you know that he quiets the storms if we'll just keep our eyes on him yeah. and in our human flesh that is so hard yeah um, but it is we so often you know take up our own fight mm-hmm. and if we can just stop and allow him to be our peace yeah. um, it changes everything
0: yeah. and um i don't know if you remember but a couple years ago at project galilee you talked about this mm-hmm. so what i felt god it took me a little while to process it it wasn't immediately that i figured this out but i can't let go of those of what you taught that night because what i see is cat showing me as a child what it meant. And then when I was old enough to take more than the milk, God retold the story in an adult manner to me. Mm-hmm. And I can't leave that either. Right. So it's been, just growth on me. he has grown with me. Yeah. And it shows that he's been present well before I ever, you know, he, he's just been present and he's always allowed me to grow and been with me through the growing. Mm-hmm. I have to see him. I have to acknowledge that. But I remember sitting at Project Galilee going, oh my gosh, this is my Bible. Like, this is, mm-hmm. she's just reiterating in different words a child's story in an adult manner. And that was powerful for me. That was very yeah. impactful. Yeah. Well,
1: the Bible says, unless we become as little children, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So, having that childlike faith or childlike perspective, seeing the story, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah that's good. So,. You know, you grew up on, a lot of kids grew up on the coattails of their parents' faith. Mm-hmm. And you grew up on the coattails of your your neighbor's faith and mm-hmm. your grandma's faith. Mm-hmm. So when did that faith become your own? When did you latch on to Jesus uh, because you needed him, not because someone was leading you to him?
0: I would have to say that was at 14 when I really knew that i needed to make that decision mm-hmm. that it was me but i also will say that i wasn't sh- i looking back i can say i didn't know what that meant but i really think my relationship with him started in college mm-hmm. i had to fast forward a little bit when i was just thinking about my testimony i, I really sat back and thought when was the first time i truly saw the lord like mm-hmm me personally with him on me, mm-hmm. and it was by far in college. Yeah, right. um, There were situations that I just didn't go to that I didn't even know why. I right. just wasn't there, and it was all because he had protected me. Yeah. So I can see him. I can say I became his right. at 14, but I can also say I don't really think I started paying attention to him right. until college.
2: In the so. head to the heart takes a while. Right.
0: right. So. Yeah. So what
1: what happened at fourteen that gave you the realization that you needed him that you needed to make that decision for him?
0: My gra- my grandma, if you really listen to me, you hear a lot about my grandma. We were just sitting in church, and um, the Pentecostal religion they have revivals, and so I was at a revival with her, and I just remember I just remember a lot going on, but not focus on anything. It was almost like I was in a bubble kind of thing. And honestly, the the only way I can explain it to you is I just felt my heart leaping out of my heart. And the only thing I knew to do was go accept Jesus. I I didn't know what else to do at that point. Um, And so I did. And I can honestly say it was in the Pentecostal church in Elkton. I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm. I really do. I remember it like it was yesterday. But, you know, Grandma used to always tell me, um, God is in the details. God is in the little things. If you keep looking for the big things, you miss in. Mm-hmm. And good. I yeah. can remember, again, being at JMU and, you know, something was going on. And I just, I just knew the answer was no. I didn't. Mm-hmm. But he was in the details. Like, it wasn't the big picture. It was just me standing in a hallway going, I can't. I yeah. can't go there. I can't yeah. do this. Right. Um, and so then a light bulb went off in my brain. And I just started... Looking for little things, and that's how I've walked. I'm such a simple-minded person. It does not take Einstein to impress me. I can just, just you know, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look for the little things. Um, it's just simple. It's simple for me. And as soon as I can comprehend that, then I see Jesus all over the place.
2: When it gets too complicated, we've complicated it. Right? Ex-
0: exactly. Exactly. And I've done that. Don't get me wrong. Haven't we all? There have been times when the Lord and I have really gone at it, um, but He's never left me, never stopped loving me, and certainly did bring me home. So, so. tell
1: us about college when you said your faith really started to grow yeah. from there, and yeah. just some of the stories that you might have from that time.
0: Um, he just he protected me in the fact that college can be um, a wild environment. Um, and funny enough, I had a roommate who, instead of being a part of all the wildness, was in charge of all of it. So instead of partaking and participating, we were always the ones walking around, seeing to it. Everything was done right. So I was always in with the crowd. I always got to talk to my friends and be with my friends. But I was always one of two that was never. It's You know how the Lord says what you're um, in this world, not other. Okay, I was in the party but not of the party right. that's kind of how my college life was so he protected me just by giving me the roommate he did because she and I you know and she was she kind of reminds me of somebody else I know she knew everybody 10,000 kids and I think she knew 9,500 of them so we just had a great experience but they knew the line with her and I was always with her and so they knew the line with me mm-hmm. it was just very interesting and and honestly, again, I could just, there were times I'd be like, oh, the Lord has covered this one. The Lord has done this one. Um, I never would say that in college, but I felt it. But I didn't acknowledge it. Now I, I obviously be the first one to tell you who's, who's responsible. But back then it was unique because in my heart I knew who was doing it. I just didn't know what to do with that.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. So. But God... God uses the details. Oh,
0: he, there's... You uh, look no, back and you can see that. There's no doubt. Yeah.
2: So, I think you had, like, a waitress job or something. Were you working at j and were Or where were you working? From?
0: I, um, when I... I had a waitressing job after college, before I started grad school, which is where I met Johnny. Yeah. <laughs>
2: who, who, who saw him? Was that your mom, or who was that?
0: Um, no, what happened? I actually went in for an interview... And he was working, Uh, and he saw me come in uh, for the interview. Yeah, so uh, he he had his
2: eyes on you right away.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was (laughs) that's another funny story. But um, yeah, because I didn't again, I didn't pay any attention to him. It was I was there work. I was you know I was focused on grad school. I wasn't really focused on a boyfriend at the time. Uh, But God had other plans. Yeah. So little side story, when we were in high school. I was in a class, and we had to write out what our future husband looked like and what our wedding looked like, right? I wrote out, and I remember praying about it, and I remember talking to my grandma about praying about it, about what my husband would look like and what my wedding would look like. Years after I married Johnny, I was going through all that paperwork Mm -hmm. to get rid of it. I found that class. Johnny met everything I had prayed for.
2: That is awesome. Every
0: and I hadn't even remembered I did it, but we've been married probably ten or eleven years, and I was going through and I found it. And we I even said I want a red and white wedding. We had a red and white wedding. <laughs> that was great. I want it to see was. Pictures. It was funny. Um, again, I could sit back and smile because who at sixteen writing out your yeah. husband, and then fast forward ten, twelve years, God provides it. Yeah. And I just told a friend of mine this morning, there's no doubt, God put me and Johnny together. Yeah. I mean, that was not us. That was a him. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. So you did an internship. Is that right? You did an internship? <laughs> Up in D.C.? Yeah. Let's hear a little bit about your internship. I did. These are the things people don't know about Karen <laughs> good. And it just, they need to know some of your experiences.
0: I, um, it was between one of my years in college, I got an internship at the White House. The first, this tells you my age, the first George Bush was the president at the time, and I was in presidential scheduling, and we literally got to schedule his his itinerary. Now, the office I was in, the main office would set the schedule, and it would come to my office, and we would finalize the details. So he had already approved what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. We just finalized w- what was happening we would call and work with Secret Service, make sure streets were shut down. There's a, you don't think there's a lot. There's a lot involved when he just goes from one block to the next. I can only imagine what it is today. That was a great, a great experience. I had a girl I work with. Um, her name was Lucy. She was, she was so much fun. Um, certain actors or certain people come to the White House, and you're supposed to not acknowledge them. You're just, you know, you're just to keep working. Well, Lucy would always have to go to the White House for a reason, and we'd go and get our pictures taken with them. <laughs> uh, and she'd always drag me along because I was always the youngest, and mm-hmm. so I didn't, I didn't know. And she had she had been there for for a while, and so um, I just got to experience I have a picture with Kevin Costner. And <laughs> you just, oh, you just, you just, you know. You ended up in a
2: meeting you weren't supposed to be in one day, didn't you? Oh, jeez,
0: I um. Two of the things I really did wrong was I put the president on hold one day (laughs) because I didn't know it was truly the president. So he would call another girl named Karen, who was actually the assistant to the president. Well, if Karen wasn't in her office, the phone switched over to us. But we normally would get warning that Karen's office was closing and the calls were coming to us. Well, she she didn't warn us. So... Phone rings. And I do my thing, and and um, I'm like, "Well, Manz, he's calling," and he's like, "Well, this is George Bush, the president," <laughs> and I'm like, "Would you hold on for one second, please?" So I put him on hold. I run to my boss, Lucy. I'm like, "Lucy, the president's on the phone." She goes, "What?" I said, "He's on hold." She goes, "You put the president on hold?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know what to do with him." So she picks it up. She takes care of it. It was hysterical. They never forgot to call our office again and tell us that the president was going to, if he would call over. And the second time, I was running paperwork, um, and I got confused. There are more levels. I was in a building called the old executive office building, the OEOB, and it's in the same grounds as the White House, but it's detached. So we were in the OEOB, and um, I thought I was going to the right floor. I hit the wrong button and ended up being greeted by military and yeah and they were very sweet they just kind of blocked the elevator and they're like um can we help you and i'm like i'm looking for and i forget the office and i held up the envelope and they just smiled and they said you want the floor above us and i'm like okay and i punched the button and we, we went the floor <laughs> up so it was it was a lot of fun one day um mrs bush came over and Mrs. Bush had her, her little Cocker Spaniels, I think they were. And she brought the pups in, and the dogs did have their own babysitter. I don't know if people know that, but Mrs. Bush had someone watch her dogs. And he came in, and um, of course the dogs came in and came in our office, and we played with them. We, were, we loved little pups. Anyway, I made the comment one day, I said, well, if you ever need a babysitter, I'll come over and I'll babysit them. Well, literally, a month or two later, they called me and said, can you come sit with the dogs? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So I got to go sit with the president or Mrs. Bush's dogs for about 30 minutes while the caretaker went somewhere. It was just things like that all the time.
2: That's exciting. That's fun. You know, those are fun things that we don't sometimes know about experiences that we have. um, That really they impact our lives. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. So that was exciting. That was, was that during grad school or was that in college? Um, that
0: was in college, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was after my junior year in college because my, after my senior year in college, I worked at the restaurant and then went straight back to grad school. Gotcha. Yeah. So you got married. Got married. Ended up in the Marine Corps for 11 years. I did not wear the uniform. I always say that and people are like, oh, you were in the Marine Corps? Johnny was actually in the Marine Corps for 11 years. Um, we were stationed at Camp Lejeune for 11 years. We never left the same house for 11 years. Nobody believes that. you like, oh, you joined the Marine Corps. You joined the military to, to travel. John was restationed to the same base three times. So wow. we never left Camp Lejeune. Had two of our children in the Marine Corps. Um, that was a, another experience where God was all over it. That was just he. I was just telling a friend of mine this morning a story of where you just, you knew he was protecting me in so many, in so many ways. Yeah. It was just fascinating. If you allow yourself to look back mm-hmm. and see where he really was. he was been in my life the whole time. I just sometimes didn't acknowledge him or didn't recognize him. Yeah. Would you like to share that story? Johnny and I had been married maybe a year and a half. But shortly after we got with June he shipped out for six months. Now, this is in the 90s, so you have to realize technology and everything was way different. So we were always warned... Not that it's mean or anything, but we were always warned, don't hang out with the enlisted wives. You need to stay with the officer's wives. Well, I never understood that. Didn't really like it, because I always felt that was John's rank, not mine. Long story short, one night I did go out with two enlisted friends who I was working with down there. And um, we went to a bar, and it was an enlightening night, one that I was like, this is not my world. This is not a part of what I want to be. Um, You know, when your husband deploys, Mm -hmm. it's a free-for-all. And that just, that wasn't who I was. So I don't disagree with going to that particular bar that night because I learned a lot. It taught me never go back. You know, Mm -hmm. I sat there in amazement learning um, and realizing this was absolutely not a world I want to be a part of.
2: It wasn't exactly what you would call light.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. I I just sat in there. Honestly, I I didn't pray because I don't don't think at the time that really crossed my mind. What I remember sitting there doing was going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, this is not me. This is not me. This is not who I am. I can't do this. That's what my night was. Um, And honestly, I think God allowed that early on. So that was it. I, yeah. I never had to worry about, you know, that was it. I knew the answer was no. I had no desire to do it, you know. Yeah. That was that.
2: Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that we all come to places in our life where we're tested. And I think that it's important to talk about these things because what you're sharing today might help someone else who maybe is struggling with living the life of a believer and, you know what does that look like? Now I believe that as a believer, you can go to an establishment and be light and have conversations. There's a lot of people that do that, but that wasn't really that group's. No, that wasn't their purpose. And um, you know, I think that we have to look at the reasons that we go where we go, and the reason, the people that we hang with, and why are we doing that, right. and what is our motive, and maybe we don't have the motive, but it's really easy um, to be dragged into something not realizing, but realizing that God is with us, and he can make a way out for us, and he will protect us. I appreciate you sharing that. I know that's probably not the easiest thing to share, but I think it's important to be that vulnerable and transparent as believers, to say, you know, we've done some things that wasn't real smart, and if somebody spouse can learn from my, you know, what happened to me, well, then I would say, you know, be careful where you go and be- who you're with. And-, yeah.
0: and, the, you know, the two girls, I don't think they really, they were just, they realized I was home. I, I don't think they realized, we were still co-workers for years and, and it got along great. I mean, mm-hmm. that didn't change. They just knew the boundary was set. The answer yeah. was no. And so the conversation never came up again. Right. Yeah. Right. because right. they right. Yeah. they knew that that and we were still friends we still i mean everything's great yeah. so i was again it took me a while to you know but looking back that's the yeah. key looking right. back i'm grateful god did it because for the next 10 years you had to right i was yeah. i was set
2: yeah right.
0: so yeah. fast forward moving back
2: to the area to the valley you ended up here somehow.
0: Yeah, uh, Johnny and I—he actually got stationed in um, Williamsburg for one year, and I was miserable. So when he got his current job, they said live wherever you want, and I said we're going home. So we bought a house um, halfway between his parents, who were in Shenandoah, and then halfway between my parents, who are in Gratis. So we live halfway between grandparents. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is because he and I both had such great relationships with our grandparents. We wanted our children. To experience the same. Mm-hmm. So we moved home because I, I, this is where my grounding is. This is, yeah. this is where I wanted my children raised. Um, so we did. And uh, then, so Jonathan and Colton were actually born in the Marine Corps. Hannah was born here when we got back A here. few years later. A few years later, yeah.
2: <laughs> I remember. Yeah. She was a baby when you started attending here.
0: Yeah, I had. She's an infant. Oh, yeah, she was. I hadn't been here maybe a year, year and a half when I had Hannah. Yeah, so she's great. This has been her church, her entire life. I remember life.
2: Kim Willis watching her, so you could oh. go to church. So I could go to church. Yeah, that
0: is the truth, right I there. I remember that. It was
2: on Sunday <laughs> morning, Kim would here. She'd come with Hannah, and yep. that was yep. the way that you were able to worship. Yeah.
0: So that conversation, I was sitting in the service, and Hanny was about a year and a half old, and she was just she wouldn't stay in the nursery, so she was with me every Sunday. And honest to goodness, God is in the details. I was sitting in one of our green chairs in the sanctuary, and I was done. And I just told him, I said, when she grows up and I can come to church and actually listen, I'll be back. But I'm kind of done for the next year or so. I I can't do this. I walked out the door, and Kim Willis was standing right there. And she happened to say, are you all right? And I told her. I'm like, nope, I'm done. And she goes, you bring me that little girl. So that kept me in church. Yeah. That's awesome. That's exactly how I kept in church was because God wasn't... He heard me that morning. You know, I don't think we
2: realize the importance of the engagement. In listening to your stories, I think of your neighbor that engaged you as a little girl and made sure you got there. And then I see Kim Willis engage you as a young mother and keep you there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know even for myself if i realize how important it is that we engage those around us because we don't know if they're one step away from never coming back or maybe it's the first step in the door and i think that's a challenge so no matter where you go to church um no matter you know we engage people and we get to know where they're at and Um, that you were able to say that to her that day, that you felt comfortable enough to say Mm to her, I'm done. Because if you wouldn't have said that, she wouldn't have been able to step up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. transparency has so much value in those settings.
1: Karen, thank you uh, for joining us today and thank you for sharing. And we You had so much good stuff to share. We didn't get it all in. Would you be willing to join us again next week and share uh, more of what God's doing in your
0: life and how He's using you? Oh, Grayson, I'd love to. I'd love to come back.
1: Well, uh, thank you uh, for joining us today, and uh, thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that uh, Karen Good's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. Also, I pray that you will join us again next Sunday for part two of Karen's testimony. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.